what does scripture say? And I feel like that should be an obvious first place to start. But what I found in having discussions with people is it's actually rarely talked about. Hey guys, welcome back to the absurdity. This week's episode, we're going to be talking about mission work and some of the dangers about the way that we approach short-term mission work and disaster relief. And I'm so excited for today's episode. It's something that I've been pretty passionate about recently. I've gone on a mission trip and I've been a part of the planning process for many. And a lot of the discussions and some of the things that I've seen come out of short-term missions, while I love and see a ton of value in short-term mission work, there's been some dangers with some of the mindsets and the the intentions that people have when they go. And so you're going to hear a lot more about that discussion and, and, and my thoughts as Myself and a good friend of mine, another good friend of mine, Ben Kreider, he and I are going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, I want to tell you, I want to let you into a little bit of the the behind the scenes on this show. I record everything. I edit everything. I Everything is 100% self-funded. I pay for the website. I pay for all the recording equipment. I pay for everything that goes into this. So that I have zero sponsors. Though, if you want a sponsor, just let me know. I'm always game for it. But the reason I give you that is because I have a a friend of mine. His name is Seth Hill. And he has started this company called Sway Hammocks. S-W-A-Y-Y. Sway Hammocks. And and basically, if I had to frame this any way, I guess I would say that that Sway Hammocks is a company that's that's creating outdoor gear to change the world. And here's why I say this. See, Seth was a, was a student missionary during his time in college, and it totally transformed the way he views the world. And it's given him this new passion and this heart for ministry that I've watched just grow and grow and grow. I've watched him change several parts of his life that he did not feel were honoring God, and he is just someone... I have massive, massive amounts of respect for. And so I want to share with you what he's doing. He hasn't paid me for this advertisement. He hasn't said anything to me. I actually went to him asking if it was okay that I feature his product. But right now they're in the pre-order stages for their first product called Primus. And it is an insulated hammock. He told me it's good for between 25 and 30 degrees. And it's a full zip. It's really cool. I'm really excited, and, and as soon as I get some some extra cash in my pocket, I'm definitely going to be putting in a pre-order for one because hammocks are the bomb. But I want to let you know SwayHammocks.com, S-W-A-Y-Y, Hammocks.com. Go check it out. You can see his blog. You can see how he's been detailing some of the processes as he gets ready to put out these products. And I'm just so excited to see what God is going to continue to do with this, how it grows there is a percentage of the proceeds that will be going to charitable organizations, to mission work, and otherwise. And so I'm just so excited to see where this goes, and I want to let you guys know about it. So without further ado, I'm just going to let this interview play out, so enjoy it. I hope that you learn something new, and I hope that your perspective has changed in the same way that mine has been, and that you can see... Maybe how we can approach short-term mission work a little bit differently. Here you go. (music) 
All right. Hey, guys. I am here with a good friend of mine, Ben Kreider. He is, he has been a friend of mine for a few years now. We've done a lot of ministry together, and I have had some of the best conversations in my experience and in my ministry experience with him. And so I wanted to bring him on to talk about um, something really dear to my heart and I think something that he's been really involved with as well. But first of all, Ben, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us about yourself, who you are, and, and just some details about your life. Okay. Uh, currently, I'm at Forest Lake Academy. I teach Bible, mostly sophomores, uh, but I also teach something called servant leadership to juniors and seniors. That's kind of a discipleship uh, applied ministry course is probably the quickest way I can describe that. Uh, and then I'm part of the chaplains team. Instead of one chaplain and Bible teachers, we all kind of share that role, uh, teaching and, and working in the chaplain capacity. Uh, and I've been there for, this is now my seventh year at FLA. Wow, seven years. I didn't. <laughs> I guess time flies, man. I did not even realize it was seven years. I, I think I've been perpetually stuck on that you've been there for like five years and that's it. Like, I just never think about your longevity there, but yeah, yeah. I've gone wow. to being uh, one of the elder statesmen, which is a very strange feeling because when I came there, I was the youngest staff member. Um, but yeah, it's it's been I think five years since I met you and then stole your car. That's true. You did steal your car upon our first time ever working together. Period. That was a wonderful experience. That I will clearly forever cherish. Uh, it was just wonderful. Um, well, Ben, let's let's go ahead and do this. What what is what's your experience with mission work in the church? Whether it's mission trips, disaster relief, whatever it is, what what is your kind of experience with it? So I had some mission experiences as a student, um, some local. Uh, national trips, and then uh, one international trip uh, down to Belize that was kind of a mission-slash-science trip that first kind of opened my eyes to some of the dangers of how we do mission work. Um, and then as a staff member, I've assisted on some mission trips, uh, whether that's helping with preparations or uh, going along with as well as being the head sponsor and organizer of some local and some in-country uh, short-term mission trips. Gotcha. Okay. So, and, and I kind of, you actually have more experience with mission work than I do. I only have necessarily, I've been on one direct mission trip, and it wasn't even a traditional one necessarily um, at, that's been outside of the country. But uh, I've seen a lot of the results of mission work. I've been a part of a lot of discussions for planning for them and otherwise. And so that's kind of just so anyway, everyone knows that's kind of the angle that we're taking this from um, is is a little bit of our involvement in some of the things we see. And I should I think I should make this clear. And Ben, you can speak if you if you see this as differently than I do. But neither of us in this episode, just as like a disclaimer, neither of us are against mission trips and mission work. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Um, but we're going to talk about, uh, I think, a little bit of some of the dangers about approaching it the way we do and, and maybe uh, some different ways to approach it. And it, I don't know, Ben, if you have any feelings different than I do, but that's kind of my perspective. Yes, I, I very much want to second that because I think uh, due to probably people's very personal experiences regarding mission work, um, the discussions can get very passionate. Um, and I think... I've developed somewhat of a reputation as being someone who's against 
mission experiences, especially international mission experiences, which isn't the case. Um, and, and I probably have needed to have done a better job in the past at communicating my views. Um, I just think that there's a lot to be said for building a scriptural model for why you're doing what you're doing because we have the potential to cause a lot of harm um, to the people that we're trying to serve. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, so let's well let's do this since neither of us are against mission work. Um, let's start with let's start with the positive things that come from the current way that we approach. Uh, missionary work, uh, whether it's short-term missions or whatever, um, what are some of the what are some of the positive things that you've seen come out of it? Um, I think probably the biggest positive is that for a lot of people, it becomes a gateway to more long-term mission work. And I'm a big believer in long-term, meaning I think probably a year minimum or longer, being the ideal model for mission work. Um, and a lot of people aren't willing to commit to that kind of opportunity right off the bat. And so a week or two can really open those doors. I, I think that's probably the best thing I see. Um, the other positive is my students come back feeling very blessed by the experience. Rarely do I have students come back and have a negative experience themselves. Um, so I think those are probably the two strongest strengths, and I'm sure there's others. Yeah, I I would I would back those two. I, I mean, if you ask me the same question, I would probably give you the same answer. I do think it 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 exposes mission work in a way that is digestible um, for for a believer who may not understand. And I think it it also gives us um, it it gives at least from the Western culture standpoint, I think it opens us up to some perspectives on other cultures that we may not have known or understood before. And I think that's that's a good thing. To do it can break some misconceptions that you might have about a certain culture or a certain country. So yeah, I, I but I agree with you. I think those are those are the two big ones for sure. Um, all right, so we've done our duty. We started with the positives. So let's let's. I, I just want to jump right into this. What what is dangerous about the way that we currently approach short term mission work? Uh yeah. There's I think a number of things. I'm trying to think of where to start. Um, and I guess it's maybe not a massive list, but I think there's probably at least three or four really potential dangers, and, and they can be avoided with careful planning and, and the right mindset. Um, I, I don't want to say that these are obstacles that can't be overcome. Um, one thing is uh, probably the first time I really noticed, wow, there's a concern here, uh, is due to orphanages. Um, orphans usually have detachment issues. You know, they, their parents have, for whatever reason, gone out of their lives, um, whether that's by choice or health or accidents or, you know, they've lost a foundational piece of their life. And so there's always a concern with young children, especially of, is this person going to be in my life? Particularly if their parents chose to give them up rather than, you know, extenuating circumstances, kind of forcing the issue. And so when an orphanage is primarily run by short-term mission workers, basically you have kids who struggle with becoming attached to people and having them leave. And now they're 
basically everyday reality is people coming and going out of their lives and kind of reinforcing that really damaging view on intimacy and human relationships. Um, and I guess that's maybe a more specific example, and not every mission trip goes there, but that's what opened my eye to go, oh, yeah, maybe we're actually making things worse for mm. orphans rather than better, like we're meaning to. Mm. Wow. Um, that's really powerful, actually. I hadn't... Um... I, I, I know of a lot of people personally that do work with orphanages, and I think the one thing I appreciate the most is is that the, some of the people that I know that do work with orphanages have been working with them for years, uh, to the point that one family, I believe, actually adopted one of the orphans that, that they worked with. Um, and I think that, that has far more value in establishing a a healthy level of attachment rather than the show up for two weeks um, what is it? I've, there's a term for it. It's like para parachute ministry or something like that, yeah. where you where you parachute you. It's like you parachute in and then and then airdrop out or whatever. Um, but yeah, I I that's huge. Um, what do you so so we so that we've got the orphanage approach and the uh, detachment approach. What what is, what it would be another um, danger with short term mission with the approach that we take? Yeah. Um... Another article that I read is actually from a graduate of our school um, who used short-term mission trip, and that cultivated a passion into them, and now they serve overseas as um, a doctor. So clearly benefits of short-term mission work there. Uh, but they're writing about the Ebola outbreak, uh, I think a few years ago now, and they're talking about how Western influence actually helped contribute to the problem uh, we brought in a lot of great medical technology and understanding of how hospitals should function, but a lot of people didn't really stop and take the time to look at the cultural traditions of the people that they were serving. And so a lot of the areas in Africa where he was currently at, and I wish I could remember the country, uh, but there's people living in a lot of remote villages. And so they kind of self-quarantine, and that's how dangerous diseases kind of kept from spreading. You know, if you're really sick, you can't leave the village. And so at the very worst case scenario, something, you know, really affects and wipes out a village, but it doesn't spread to all these other villages. And so now all this money comes in, a new hospital comes up and everyone feels great because, hey, a new hospital um, and everyone means well and it sounds like a great idea. But now when Ebola comes, instead of people staying in their village, they're coming to the hospital without a full understanding of what kind of danger that poses to have someone with Ebola just drive through town, possibly taking public transportation rather than a car like we typically would in the States where most households have their own vehicle. Uh, and so now they're taking public transportation, going through a crowded city, sitting in a waiting room, uh, and then all of a sudden the doctor finds out, oh, this person has Ebola, and now we have no idea how many hundreds of people they've been exposed to uh, because the people were not ready for a hospital model. Hmm. That I, 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 you know, it's weird to me that and I'm just kind of thinking about this now that a positive thing about these, about this short term mission work is it can open your eyes up to cultural differences that you did not know before. But that's also, I guess, a danger in, in this example, because if you don't know the culture before you go, then you can actually end up making things worse uh by your presence there i think that's that's huge i um i think i remember 
Another one of our, our mutual friends was telling me about a mission trip that happened a while ago and he, they, where they went to a school. And the problem was that all of these American high school students would go into this elementary school in a foreign country. And the assumption was that whatever the American high school high schooler knows is more than the qualified teacher in the education system there. And so then for a week or two weeks or however long the trip is, while the while the American high school kids go in and teach, the teacher just sits back and lets it happen. And it's almost, A, it's insulting for the teacher because you're telling me that a 14-year-old with barely any education you know, outside of elementary and middle school can do a better job than I can at this. But then B, it's um, it's like I'm already doing this work. Like you're you're coming to do a job that we already have covered. You're just taking work away from what we're doing, um, and so and and from us. And so there was this. It was this total unintentional uh, insensitivity, only be born out of the fact that, or born out of the perception that American culture and Western culture in general is better inherently than any of these other cultures that we haven't figured out and that we're the ones that are going to come and teach you and elevate you to our level. It's this ethnocentric approach to mission work instead of one that just says, how can I make your life better based on your needs and your culture and what you're dealing with? Um, That's been, um, that was, I guess, another example of a, of a danger. Um, But I don't know, what are your, have you experienced anything from the education side of that? Or can you speak to that at all? Yeah, that's actually why I set about changing or attempting to change our missional approach. Uh, my first year at the school, I kind of just took a back seat to a lot of things. It, it was just I'm here to learn and kind of figure out what we're doing. Um, I was relatively new, not only to the job, but to teaching. And uh, I remember sitting in some of the planning meetings so that I could kind of learn how to do this because the next year is going to be my year and we're going to kind of switch off which staff member was heading up the mission trip. And I remember some people had gone down, we were partnering with another group and they had gone down ahead to kind of make preparations. And what we heard back was, Oh, the teachers don't really want you guys coming. And I was (laughs) kind of blown away. Like what, Uh, what do you mean? They don't want us coming. It is exactly for what you just said is like, well, like they're teachers and, and they've they've been trained, they've gone to school and maybe their education and, and their experience is not as good as, you know, a teacher going through an American university. But they're still professionals um, and clearly they have a pulse on their students, on their communities. Uh, you know, they know what their students needs are. And I would feel very disrespected as a teacher if all of a sudden, like I had to just cede my class to someone for a week now, I don't mind guests coming in, but if it was just like all the classes for a week or two weeks and the teachers couldn't teach, I would feel like, man, I'm really missing a lot of opportunities that I need as a professional to get my students where I need to get them to. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I said, okay, when I'm doing it, I'm not going back there. Maybe there was a need at one point for this community, but clearly some of the major players don't feel like we're benefiting them. And so, man, can I find somewhere else that really has a strong need? Mm. I, that's, that's, wow. Um, 
I just so just so I guess any listeners know both uh, I graduated from Forest Lake Academy and 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 Ben obviously works there and both of us have I mean utmost respect for the school um I loved this the time that I had there and otherwise and one of the things that that Forest Lake does and most most private schools do this so this isn't like a this isn't like specifically an FLA thing this is like a lot of schools do this but an annual mission trip every year there's a new mission trip to a new location or otherwise um and so that's kind of one of the things that that is in the culture is it's expected that that students are going to go on a mission trip and a lot of a lot of students will expect that that mission trip will be to a certain type of country or a certain place and in fact it it comes down to it as well that a lot of parents expect it too um but I want to, as, as a, as a segue, I guess into the next question. I want to, want to say this. There is, the one thing that I always have heard when I was in high school, after high school, and even in doing ministry, outside of that, doing regular ministry that isn't considered missionary work, but doing regular stateside work. Even though I do believe the United States is a mission field like any other. Um, it's this statement that says, "Man, I went or I did this activity." And I came out more blessed than the people that I served. And, and we, and then we start to, as, as teachers or as ministers or ministry leaders, we start to advertise it in a way that says, okay, how can I get you to do this when everything else in your life is from a consumer standpoint? How can I build mission trips from a, from that kind of same kind of standpoint? And so we say, yeah, if you go, you're going to benefit in these ways immediately. And we bill this as a, this is a trip for your spiritual growth and for you when mission work itself seems to be for the benefit of the person you're serving specifically. And there's in mind, to my knowledge, it seems like there's very little uh, mention of the benefit to the, to the one doing the serving. Um, But I, so that, that's kind of, I've heard this a lot and I'm, I'm betting that you have. And, and I, I do think that most of the time when people go serve, when I've served, I've received a lot out of it too. And I've said the very same things. Um, and I meant it and I agree with myself in having experienced it that way. But do you think Ben, that there is a danger in that kind of mentality or that approach? Yeah, I think some of the dangers that we just brought up, uh, can be, fixed, uh, you know, proper education about what you're doing, research, talking to the people you're serving, evaluating, getting feedback, talking to experts, people that have been serving in the community. A lot of those obstacles can be avoided, but this is one that I think there, there's just not really a way around it. Um, if you're not entering mission from the mindset of going and doing for the sole purpose of benefiting your target audience, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, you're not going to have a really successful trip. Now, I I think God is going to work in spite of that, um, and and some of the students may come back blessed, but I think that's where we get into a real danger um, because I'm now seeking to serve self, and and it's not bad to have a good experience on a mission trip, but... Mm -hmm. That, that can't be the primary concern. Uh, there's nowhere in scripture that I've found where God or the prophets or Jesus or anyone instructs anyone like 
go do mission work because you're really going to get a lot out of it. Uh, in fact, Jesus, I think, would probably, if anything, suggest the opposite and that true evangelism and mission work is painful and difficult and hard, but it's worth it uh, because you're loving and serving others. Yeah, that makes sense. I, um, It seems like that's the true heart of a, of a disciple, um, but it, it's to go and serve purely for the target audience's benefit and not for your own. But I think also we... I think a danger in this is that you're 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 trying to make what is inherently a dangerous in some countries and in many places where I went was actually dangerous. Um, where I went was very dangerous. We actually it, during some days at the compound we would play the game of our, is that fireworks or is that gunfire in the neighborhood next to where we were staying, uh, based on the sounds that we heard. Like like the areas that sometimes you go to are dangerous, and what you're doing is you're sticking. On very many occasions, without proper research or otherwise, you're sticking kids, whether it's kids or whether it's adults who may not be sure of their faith or maybe not even their identity in Jesus Christ or their identity as a person. You're sticking to them in this environment where they're the one who's supposed to be the spiritual mentor or the spiritual leader for someone else. And they're not even sure of what they believe. And the trip may make them sure of what they believe or may may enforce their beliefs. But ultimately, you're sticking them in a place where... Uh, for where they're at in their spiritual growth or their spiritual journey, maybe that's not the place that they need to be yet. Maybe they still need to know John 3.16. You know what I mean? Like maybe they still need to grow as an individual Christian before they look to go off into this foreign country or this foreign place and and make someone else's life better based off of whatever their their goals are in the trip. I don't know if, if you if you agree or disagree with that. Yeah, I think it gets to uh, a model that really has helped guide me in my decision-making process. Uh, The book, When Helping Hurts, and there's a whole series. There's one, Helping Without Hurting, and they have small group studies. It's all series by uh, Steve Corbett. And basically, he introduces that one of the fundamental challenges we face as Americans conducting missions is that we have a very limited view of poverty. Uh, we, we seek to relieve poverty, but our focus is primarily on financial poverty uh, because that's how Americans define poverty. Uh, but the reality is that there's all sorts of poverty, key among them being spiritual poverty. And I think the reason why so many of our students come back saying, I feel like I was more blessed than the people I served is because a lot of times our students are suffering incredible spiritual poverty And so they're going to a place that is maybe material poor, but spiritually rich. And we're sending students that are materially rich, but potentially spiritually poor. And and I'm I'm reluctant to say it because I don't want people thinking I'm calling their child who went on a mission trip and said that uh, spiritually inadequate. It's not a blanket statement that applies to everybody. But um, because we are so blessed in many ways, it can be easy to forget God. I mean, that's the story of the Bible. Prosperity leads to rejection of God. That's the Old Testament sin cycle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I strongly agree that the main cause is we have students who aren't spiritually prepared to serve on mission trips. Um, they're doing it to get community service hours or because it seems fun or their friends are going and not because 
wow, I have reached a level of my relationship with God where I am ready to travel the world and make disciples. And that's that's what Jesus called us to do for mission, but we're not there yet. Mm. Yeah, I I I agree. Um and I think I think yeah, it's not a blanket statement. I think you have students on an individual basis that that happens to, not necessarily the whole lot. You know, we're not we're not trying to cast the whole lot of every student or every believer that goes on a short-term mission trip that this is the state of belief that they're in. Um, but it's definitely a risk. It's something that we have to be, I think, intentional about addressing and, and dealing with. Um, you know, I remember when I went on a mission trip to Brazil to preach an evangelistic series, we preached 18 sermons. And the way it was billed as I had to go on a mission trip in order to graduate from my undergrad. So I'm in college. This is just a few years, a couple of years ago. And you had two options. You could do evangelistic series at a church in, I think, the state that they were doing them in was Florida at the time. Or you could go out of the country and they market it on flyers, online, everywhere as we're going to Rio in Brazil. So like, yeah, like, let's go to Rio. A, I wanted to experience another culture, but B, it's Rio. Like, (laughs) then, like three weeks before the mission trip actually takes off or like a month before, we're told, oh, by the way, we're not actually going to Rio. We're going to this other place, and we're just landing in Rio for like a day. And to me, A, it was a bait and switch that was really upsetting just for the fact of just tell me where we're going off the bat. But B, it also made me have to come to terms with the fact that there was part of me that wanted to serve in this place, not because I genuinely wanted to make a difference in the lives there, but because I wanted to experience Rio, and I wanted to experience another country. And it was it was filtered basically through me and my own selfishness rather than my desire to see the gospel preached uh, to believers or, I mean, to, to other people in another country. Um, and, and that was, it made me come to grips with that. And so I was angry both at the coordinator for the bait and switch. And then I was angry at myself for having that revealed in my own heart, um, that I mentality. And I think that's what this is. It's a, it's a me before missions mentality. It's a server before uh, the served. Um, yeah, and I, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think a lot of people have been there. I've been there too. I went to Belize, and it was a science slash mission trip. And mostly, I wanted to go because I said I'd be like snorkeling with sharks and riding horses through the jungle. And you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest. Like that was my appeal. And I got there and I had sent all these letters out on going on a mission trip and asking for donations. And we got there and we spent like two hours handing out dollar store, to- dollar store toys to um, some kids in an orphanage. And then the rest of the time was literally playing. And it, and it was a fantastic trip for me, but not necessarily for anyone that we were intending to serve when we went. Um, yeah, it's like or a, the people it's like that gave me money. With- it's like a vacation with community service. Like that's, yeah. uh, and I, I really do struggle with that. And, and when I see that part of me is like, man, I just don't want to do them at all. But that's not, that's just me being bitter. That's not, um, that's not a condemnation on the whole thing. I think you should be able to have some fun when you're going to serve. I think, I think celebrating with people and, and enjoying the good parts of their culture or whatever it is that's, that's in a place that you're going to like, that's great. There's one, there's wonderful stuff in that. But when it takes up the majority of why you're there or what you're doing there, I think that's where the problem lies. Um, I think that would be the way that I would categorize that or portray that. Um, 
but I think I see this I, I see this I mentality extending into even more than the short term mission work and and I've given you a little bit of heads up that I was gonna bring this up on the show, but I see this also in disaster relief. Um, I, with Hurricane Irma having just hit Hurricane Harvey, uh, there's been a lot of articles coming out about how you can donate, what you can do, and, and and what you can do to help. And I I get it. There is this there is this innate need, and I felt it, especially with Irma, knowing that my family was in its direct path. There's this need you feel to do something to help. Your heart aches, and you want to do something to help. The problem is that when we when we come at this from an I over them mentality that I'm doing this for me, that it becomes you're doing it to make yourself feel better. And as long as you've done whatever, it, whatever is qualified to make that true, that statement true, I feel better. It doesn't matter what happens on the other end. I click the donate button and then I disappear and I never interact with it again. I think in one article I read um, after the Sandy Hook shooting and and the the terrible tragedy it was the town i i think it was what's the what was the town newton i think is the town um right. the city they they received upwards of like 60,000 teddy bears from across the country and it was born out of this desire they said oh kids were affected families were affected we want to send teddy bears to these kids and all of these teddy bears just ended up sitting in a warehouse basically because there's not even that many kids in the town, really. Like, there's not that many kids that were even affected by this. This was one elementary school, and we're, and it was born out of this desire that we want to help so that we can feel better, and we're not actually going to do the research and pay attention to what this community actually needs. Um, I, there was another article, I, or maybe it was the same article that I read, where where people were sending, like, winter clothes to summer climates. <laughs> and it's like, and they, they, they'll use donation or disaster relief as an excuse to get rid of the unwanted items in their closet instead of actually trying to make a difference. And if the countries don't have the infrastructure to handle the donations or whatever else, like all these donations end up going completely to waste. Um, and it comes from this mentality of I'm going to give to this so that I feel better, not actually so that someone else is helped. Um, and, and that is... And I think that that kind of sums up my issue with this entire topic, mission work or disaster relief is is it's the intention that we that we serve with instead of the actual service itself. My issue is with with the intention and the approach, not the actual service. I don't what are your thoughts? I've gone on a huge rant because this is my soapbox, but uh, what what are your thoughts? What do you what do you have to say on it? Yeah, I hadn't thought a lot about when you, I mean, when you first brought up the topic of mission work and, and short-term mission trips, I hadn't really thought about the disaster relief approach a lot. Um, but it is interesting because um, one of my colleagues uh, is from the Houston area, uh, taught there, went to school there. Uh, and so obviously a very strong personal connection to the schools and churches in our denomination there. And so we had been talking with the principal about how can we help? Uh, and so the school did an inventory and they came up, here's the things that were damaged. And one of them, the, one of the things that they needed was an SDA Bible commentary set. And I thought well, I could give mine up because usually I use like the app or, you know, the online site and I mostly just keep them in my office. So I look fancy when people come visit me and I look like I'm an employed Adventist uh, religion worker. Uh, don't worry, but, I don't think that highly of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Keep me humble. Uh, you know, but I mean, it was one of those things. It was a gift, and 
it's it just feels like a library should have it but i started thinking well when's the last time i used them so i was like okay and i was getting ready to go like box them up and i was like where do i send it and she's like well they're not really ready for those things yet right now they really just need like gift cards so they can start buying supplies because if i start mailing stuff i don't even know if they can get mail where they're at uh, the roads were still flooded at that time they have nowhere to put things and it's like oh yeah maybe i should actually talk to the people uh, and figure out not only what do they need but when do they need it what's the best way to get it to them and, and i fell into the same mindset that i think a lot of people fall into is you feel bad and you see an opportunity to help and you want to help and i don't want to knock anybody that feels that way it's it's just about how can we do this better uh, yeah, i don't exactly. think i want to be critical of anyone for helping or going on these trips and it's not that they're bad or giving disaster relief is bad it's just there's multiple ways to do it and we always want to strive to maximize our resources and our energies and our efforts well i think i think too if you're working as a nonprofit maybe a legal expert can email me and 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 correct me but what i know of just from working in the church as a registered nonprofit is that you can only use donations uh, for what they're marked as. If someone marks a donation for a specific thing, you can't really just take that money and put it elsewhere. And when we do, when some of these, these nonprofits that are doing disaster relief work, uh, when they get donations that are marked as disaster relief or emergency relief, whatever it is, well, the emergency relief phase of disasters and national tragedies or whatever really only lasts like a couple weeks. And then it moves into the rebuilding and reconstruction phase. And because it's no longer classified as the same thing, now what they have is an over, they have an abundance of donations. They have too much. And now that money is locked and can't be touched again without contacting every single individual donor, which contacting, you know, thousands or millions of people is really hard to do. Um, on that scale to get all of their permission to get that money transferred into a different donation pot. Um, and so you get you get companies that as soon as the disaster relief is over, well, they've got all this money that now they can't technically use for anything else. If it's for Houston disaster relief or Harvey disaster relief, well, I can't just use it for Irma disaster relief now. Um, and otherwise, like, so it's, it's, it's really hard if we're not being diligent to, to realize where we're donating or how we're donating and when. I love the when because if if we only care during the first week of a disaster, the first two weeks of a disaster, then, well, do we really – my get check for me is if I only care about it for that time, do I really care? I don't, I don't want to question necessarily the motives of everyone on that, but I know that's my question I have to ask myself when I – when I come across this stuff, if I'm only going to care for this one week or this one short window of time, is it something that I really care about? Yeah, I, I think probably a healthier approach to that is rather than trying to respond and help with everything, find something that energizes you consistently and focus on that. Uh, making one recurring donation to some sort of organization is probably a lot more effective than these massive spikes because, I, you know, as a school, you know, we are a nonprofit and we don't we don't run and we don't have this massive cash flow. And so what really helps us is to have consistent income coming in so we can set our budgets and, and adjust and things like that. Um, and make sure that we're following all the tax rules that we need to because, unfortunately, a lot of nonprofits have abused that in the past. 
And so there are a lot of restrictions on where and how you can use the money, which I don't necessarily know all the details, but I know our business manager is always, you know, really getting on us about making sure our paperwork is in order and that we're doing things properly so that we don't lose our status. And, and it's easier to do that when we have recurring donations uh, and that we can kind of come to depend on instead of just hoping that when a crisis hits, people will be generous. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think if we can establish long – and I think that's – that the, if you do short-term work with long-term impact, I think that's good. Um, I think that's kind of the goal, right, is is short-term work but with a long-term impact, which is why I think a lot of a lot of organizations will, like, go build a school or Maranatha does, like, build a, a one-day church. Um, I forget what the actual term – maybe that's the term. I forget what it is, but they go build a church in one day or one short trip so that they have a place to worship. Um, and so their long-term impact or long-term and recurring, recur, recurring giving, um, and recurring donations, I think are really, really good. So I agree with you on that 100%. Um, so we've kind of, we've kind of downed the short-term mission trip approach. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you think, and you can share your experience with, with changing the culture on this, um, what do you think is a better or maybe a more proper approach to mission work in the short term? Uh, the first thing that we looked at as a team when we started kind of thinking, well, maybe our, our mission work isn't as effective as we would like it to be, is what does Scripture say? And, and I feel like that should be an obvious first place to start, but what I found in having discussions with people is it's actually rarely talked about. Uh, the Bible does have things to say about how do we evangelize. Now, it doesn't necessarily deal specifically with short-term missions because that's not been a reality until what, 40, 50 years ago when travel became cheap enough that I could fly across the country, uh, across the world and come back a week later. Um, I mean, that's just a yeah. brand new thing in the history of the world. Um, but we started with Acts 1 where Jesus is telling the disciples how to evangelize and he says you know when you receive the holy spirit go and witness in jerusalem and then in all of judea and samaria and then to the ends of the earth and so there's clearly a global mandate and so i don't want to down the idea of international trips uh, even though I, I think i've developed somewhat of a reputation uh, that is the end goal but i think jesus lays down a really awesome framework in that your first thing is to witness to your immediate community uh, there's a lot of very practical reasons. There's no language barriers. There's very few, if any, financial barriers, cultural barriers. Um, you can involve everybody. So I can easily take all 430, whatever, of our students into Orlando in a given year if I really, that's my goal. Um, financially, we can do it. Time-wise, we can do it. And I can do that, but I can't take all 435 of them to Nicaragua or Costa Rica or Kenya or wherever the current kind of hot spot and, and trendy place to go is. Um, and so while I'm doing that, I can help evaluate and watch. I can see which students are really making the most of their time and their resources. Um, I can train them to do things in a more comfortable and safe environment um, where they can learn, because a lot of students really aren't ready to go to the ends of the earth. There's, there's probably some, but many aren't. Uh, and then from there, uh, our model went, okay, we're going we're gonna to develop a really strong local program, and then we're going to do the Judea and Samaria and go to 
other parts in the United States, places where there's more barriers, but they're still smaller. Um, cost is a little bit higher. Um, transportation is a little bit more difficult. Uh, you're running into some cultural differences, but not massive ones. And so now students who have had some experience at the local level and shown success and responsibility, I can now trust that they're going to be good stewards of the resources that our community and churches have provided and take them somewhere where they can further hone their skills. Uh, and then the goal was to eventually build that into an international trip where we take students that have really shown we can trust them. They're going to put in the work beforehand to learn the culture, to understand the dangers, to pray, to you know, properly evaluate their own strengths and weaknesses. And that's who we want to send to our international communities um, because we're, we're spending a tremendous amount of what essentially comes down to other people's money when we do this. And we don't want to waste that money by sending students who aren't prepared. Um, mm. and, and then I can also get all of my students involved at least on some level in mission work rather than just focusing on 10 to 30 being involved and the rest of the school getting almost nothing. Mm. Yeah. So I, 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 so what I hear there is also a stewardship aspect of this. We have these resources and we're called to be responsible with what we're given by God to do this work. So let's make sure that we're doing it the most efficient way. Um, and so what it sounds like to me, and, and, and this is, I think what I'd say as well, it sounds like you're saying like, like it's not that we shouldn't do short term mission work or go on these mission trips, but it's that we should look at why we're doing them and what we're actually doing while we're there. What's the impact and and why is this beneficial for them? And is this actually meeting a need that they have? Um, I think I was, I was watching just a couple hours ago, Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything. He was just on, I think it was either Stephen Colbert or Conan. He was on both, but it was one of, the, one of those two. And he was talking about uh, Tom's Tom's shoes, which I used to be huge on. Anyone who knows me knows that I like at one point I owned like 20 pairs of Tom's. Like I was so big on their one for one model that when you buy one, they give one. And and then I started to do research and Adam brought up a bit of this, too, in, in what he was saying with with Conan. You can find this, I think, on YouTube. And he says, look, like, A, we have this picture of what villagers in another country, what they look like and what they need. Oh, they need shoes. And we determine what they need instead of letting them determine what they need. That's number one, is we let the stereotype drive what we do instead of actually understanding. But two, he said, whoever said that shoes are what they need? Like, maybe shoes aren't the big thing that they need. Maybe it's Maybe it's something else like we're just going really it's buy one, give, give one. We're just buying one for us and making ourselves feel better that they got something, too. Um, it's more of an excuse to buy ourselves some shoes, which, to be honest, definitely me. I was in that. I was there. I bought so many shoes and I was on my philosophical high horse thinking I was such a good person because every single time I wore my shoes, it meant that, you know, someone else was getting another pair or I was reminded that someone else got another pair. And when in reality, none of my Tom shoes have ever lasted that long. And I doubt that if they're built from the same thing that they last long in other countries too. Yeah. Uh, let's just, let's just be honest. I like Tom's. I think I, I like the style of them and everything, but yeah, like, and you're ruining local businesses by whatever you're bringing in. Um, you're actually taking money out of their economy by, by messing with it in that way. So I, I think it, all of this boils down to intention. Like neither of us, I think, are saying don't go on mission trips. 
Yeah, I, I think probably a, a question I think every group should ask is, how much money are, are we needing for this project? And, and that's going to vary from school to school or church to church or, or whatever group is doing this. Um, but how much money is going towards this and what could that money accomplish instead of this trip? Uh, because what we don't think about is the fact that our dollar goes a long ways in a lot of countries. Uh, I was reading a report a few months ago that said the average annual income for like the world outside of America and Europe is somewhere around, I think, $3,000 uh, US dollars. Wow. And so it's like, so there's mission trips that run close to $3,000 per person. So it's like, am I more effective sending one teenager for one week or two weeks, or is it more effective to employ someone for an entire year in the place that I'm going to serve? Um, I, I've got this thing that Boston College, um, a, a paper that they put together, and it mentions a trip where a group of 18 students, it says they spent $25,000 to go to Honduras for a week. Um, and, and serve in an orphanage. And so while they were there, they painted the orphanage, they cleaned the playground, and played with the children, which are all good things. Like, that, that's great. Uh, but what they found out later was that the orphanage's yearly budget for everything, salaries, uh, building maintenance, food and clothes for the children, uh, was $45,000. So this one-week trip could have funded the oh, school man. for over six months. You know, salaries, food, clothes, maintaining the buildings. And, and so the orphanage, so one of the staff members is like, you know, honestly, like it was great, but wow, we could have done so much with that money. Um, you know, and, and I realize it's probably not a one to one dollar because if I just went out and said, donate money that we're going to send somewhere, I probably wouldn't get the kind of money that we can raise for a mission trip. Um, and, and I don't know that there's an easy way to fix that. But we do have to think, man, I could send kids to this school to do VBS for a week, or I could pay every teacher's salary for two years. Or I could send a group to help preach and evangelize, or I could fund pastors for 20 churches for a year. But, you know, I, the math is always going to depend on your context, but I think that's a question that we need to ask. Um, if we're going to honestly say that we've put some thought into really serving the community. Hmm. So I, I love that. I think, I think that if you're listening, I mean, we, we've kind of ragged on this. I, I know I have anyways, that not so much. Um, but part of it is just to make you aware um, and, and to raise awareness that, that we do need to, I think, rethink our approach to, um, to the way we do short-term mission work, uh, both in the Adventist realm and in the greater Christian realm in general. Um, I, I see the same mentality in non-denominational groups and otherwise as well. And um, I, you know, it, it pervades even more. One of the biggest thing that bugs me is when I see someone make a GoFundMe for like a mission trip and then their photo, like their, their profile picture or whatever is like this picture of them, like in Europe. <laughs> like a week ago and they never did any fundraising for that. And it's like, cool, I'm going to spend my money on going on vacation, but I'm going to make sure that I spend your money to go serve other people. And it's still born out of this selfish thing of I'm going to keep my stuff for me and I don't want to use any of my stuff for someone else. And, and, and there is danger. I think there is great 
spiritual danger in viewing things from a selfish way. I don't think um, in, in viewing service from that selfish perspective. And I don't think either of us are saying that anyone who's gone on a mission trip is a terrible person, is spiritually inadequate, and that everyone who's gone on a mission trip is um, selfish or did not get anything out of it, period. I think what we're saying is, why are you doing what you're doing and how can you do it better? How can you do it most effectively? Um, so I don't know, Ben, if you want to add anything to that, I just wanted to, I just want to make that clear. Cause I know everyone has very strong, strong feelings about their experiences in the mission field. Yeah. I mean, I've seen my students come back, changed people for the better. And for that, I am literally eternally thankful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, I think mission trips do a lot of good. I'm just very passionate and constantly evaluating our practices as a church, as institutions, and saying, how can I do better? It's not that it's bad. It's just God is constantly pulling us progressively throughout human history to a better and better understanding of his ideal for humanity. And I think this discussion is is part of that process of saying, okay, in its infancy, mission trips, we didn't really know. We just started doing things and we meant well, and I think God blessed through that. But now we're starting to get research back. We're starting to get long-term studies and, and experiences and surveys. And now I can actually say, oh, here's where we kind of messed up along the way. And that doesn't make people bad people. Uh, the disciples, when they first went out, made a lot of mistakes. And Jesus isn't really too harsh on them. But he says, okay, so next time, here's what you have to do. Um, and I think that's okay to say, Wow, I look back and, and that mission trip was not really effective. It had some good, but wow, I could do even better. And so why wouldn't you um, if you know that? Um, I think probably the best mission trip experience I had, and I would recommend this trip to anybody, is uh, in Portland, Oregon. It's with an organization called Bridgetown Ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of homeless ministry. And I loved uh, talking with the person at the time who was in charge of it. He's moved on. Um, but he... His name is Marshall Snyder, and he said he told our students flat out he came out to talk to them, and he said, we don't need you. And, and some of our students were kind of offended by that. He said, we have tons and tons of volunteers. We, we will be fine if you don't come. And I thought, oh, man, like, why are we going then? He said, but we would love to build a relationship with you and educate you on what we're doing here so that you can go back to your community and find needs in your community and build them. Like it, it was really less about what we were doing and more about educating ourselves so that when we got back, we could start similar programs in our own community based on the needs that we saw. And that's actually what our students did. They came back and, and they guided us through the whole process after the trip was over. And we have several things that have been going on for several years now in the Orlando community that hundreds of our students have benefited from that were developed by those that went. Um, they came up with the programs, the ideas, they piloted it, they made tweaks and suggestions, and then we opened it up to the, the school as a whole. And now the community of Orlando has benefited because of this trip. It, it wasn't just one week. It has been a four-year journey, um, and, and it's continuing to ongo. Man, I, I love that because it's intellectually honest to say we're going to go and get educated and come back. And we understand that, yeah, there may not be a huge difference made on our end there, but we're not going to come back and pretend like we did make a huge difference. Instead, this is 
uh, what it is, and we're going to go and learn and make a difference where we're at. Um, so I, I love that. Uh, thanks for sharing your experience, Ben. Do you have uh, any final thoughts for the listeners before we take off? Um, I, I think the main thing is study scripture. Uh, what, what does Christ say about mission work? What do the prophets say? What do the apostles say? Um, because they're really the ones that have the authority to set down that foundation piece. And then our job is not to invent the wheel and find the motives for mission work, but rather to contextualize those teachings to our situation in our time period um, and make sure that you're doing preparation work. Um, you know, what is this culture about? What are things that we can do? What, what do I need to teach my students before we go? There's a lot of really awesome resources. Uh, as I mentioned, the When Helping Hurts and Helping Without Hurting books uh, by Corbett, uh, they have stuff to help prepare students to go on these trips and understand how sin has broken this world and, and a really redemptive model to fixing it. Um, and then I think the last thing I can mention is, is looking at, okay, so we've got these people, we've got this cost, it's going to be this much total, and making sure that you can justify using that money in that way as opposed to some other way. Um, and, and if you can follow the scriptural model, if you can justify why you're doing what you're doing and, and you submit to the Holy Spirit, I think it's going to be a fantastic opportunity. Um, even if short-term mission is maybe not my ideal, I still think an amazing amount of good can come from it, assuming that we've submitted to God's word and, and his model. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much uh, for coming on, for talking to me about this, letting me wax eloquent on how I feel. And and, and thank you for your perspective and your experience. Um, just so you, just so all the listeners can know, you can follow up with Ben. Uh, you can just find him on, on Facebook, Ben Kreider, K-R-E-I-T-E-R. You can also just see it in the episode name uh, if you don't know how to spell his name. Or if you want to ask him something really specific and don't have Facebook or whatever, just, just email me. Or, or get in contact with me and then I'll, I'll patch you to him. So Ben, thank you again for coming on the show. And I, I hope to have you on again and talking about, I don't know what, but we'll figure it out. But I, I really appreciate you and, and your journey. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I have lots of feelings on lots of things. So I'm sure at some point uh, we can sit <laughs> here and, and, and pat each other on the back. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, and attempt to save the church. Uh, which is a test that we're not at all equipped for, but it seems like we attempt to do sometimes if we sit and talk too long. Um, but you know, I, I think the reality is I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And, uh, I hope that the people listening are adding their own thoughts and their own viewpoints in because I'm sure there's a lot that I have to learn about this topic as well. All right, so that was my interview with Ben Kreider and our conversation. And I just want to reiterate, to anyone who's been on a short-term mission trip, to anyone who's been significantly involved in them and had your lives changed by them, and seen short-term mission trips that have long-term impact, that's awesome. And I am not, we neither of us were ragging on you or downing you in any way. And if we have in, unintentionally, then I apologize. That was never my intent. We just want to bring attention to what happens when we do short-term mission work or disaster relief from the perspective of this is for me. 
because mission work and service the way that Jesus commanded it and the way that the way that you can see it in scripture has always been for the benefit of the one who's being served. Yes, it is a side effect. It's a byproduct naturally that the one who is serving gets a blessing and gets something out of it and receives, but that should never be a motivator for why we serve. And so we just wanted to highlight and maybe approach this from a different topic, right? Because that's what this podcast is all about, or a different perspective. This podcast is all about reframing the conversation. And sometimes I think that means diving into com- in, into difficult conversations and, and things that people are very, very passionate about one way or the other. And I just want to let you know, we appreciate you. I appreciate your service and what you've done for the kingdom of God and to advance it. So know that, be encouraged, be affirmed, and be empowered to go and serve. If you want to connect with the absurdity in any other way, we invite you to check us out online at www.theabsurdity.org. If you want to contact me, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan180Becker. You can also follow the Absurdities Twitter. It's at the, or it's at absurdity underscore cast. And so you can follow me there as well. You can email me, Ryan180Becker at gmail.com and just let me know if your thoughts on the show if you subscribe to us on itunes please leave a review let us know if there's any way that that i can improve this show any topics that you want to hear covered i'm happy to do some research and learn more and more thanks guys we'll see you next time